mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, today's guest is Rainier Wild. He is an experienced teacher, writer, speaker, and spiritual director, and he has embraced life for all that it is. He has celebrated his highs and learned from his lows. He has managed a Fortune 500 company and built businesses. He has also elegantly blown them up, burned them down, and started from scratch. Through the various positions he has held, he has discovered that life must be claimed to hold any worth. His work is to inspire others to live fully and deeply in the here and now. And he's such a special human being. This was an, a fantastic episode with Rainier. We've been trying to get together for a while and put this together for you guys. And we finally had the stars aligned. So a lot of wisdom in Rainier, his past, what he has gone through in his life and how he has come out the other side as the man that he is today, impacting those who are in his ecosystem. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. And I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we have a special guest on. We've been trying to link up for a while and the stars have aligned for us. Rainier Wild is with us today and so freaking honored to have you on, brother. I love your message. I love how you show up in the world. You and I were just talking about that and really excited to jam out with you for a little bit. I am so excited to be here, man. And, you know, I love where we started. I actually, I was thinking about this right before you press the record button that maybe one of the things I wanted to, to say on air was taking responsibility for the fact that we didn't make it here earlier. And, yeah. you know, there were a lot of moments where we had previously scheduled uh, to get here. And for one reason or another, I had to back out often. There was something that came up. And one of the things that I think is really, really important is taking responsibility for places where you said you were going to do one thing and whether life happened or calamity struck or whatever that is, you know, you didn't do that thing. And that was actually one of the, the first things that I said to you right before we came on the air to take responsibility for that. So I think that's actually important for people to hear because I think responsibility taking creates our ability to have relationship. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And what's really powerful from that is the fact that, you, you know, you're what you teach, you're practicing, which is, you know, in my opinion, it's rare to see people aligned with those two things. And you teach people to take ownership for creating authenticity. And that's what you're doing right now with 
you know, explaining that to everybody and the fact that it's just, you know, that stuff happened, but you didn't shy away from the fact that you own that. So I love that brother. And that's, that's what makes you such a powerful mentor and coach mm -hmm. and why, you know, you are in the position you are to influence people today. Mm, so I really, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Well, I'm going to run you through the manly round. Nobody gets to escape it. And, uh, and we're going to get some questions out there. Maybe haven't had before and get the community to know you a little different. You ready for it, brother? I think so. <laughs> All right. Your first question is what is your spirit animal and why? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> It's so, it's so interesting. I have actually thought a lot about this. It's, it's the blue heron. Um, and this didn't used to be the case. I think uh, as I was a kid, I would dream in these giant aurochs bulls that would run through my dreams. In fact, even up until my young adulthood, I would dream these giant black bulls walking through my dreams and I'm a Taurus and I, mm. I ended up getting a giant bull tattooed on my chest. And so I was always very connected to that, but there came a point in my mid thirties where I started to see blue herons everywhere in the most surprising of places i'd drive through a city and all of a sudden there'd be a blue heron like you know coming across a cityscape and and i think Whoa. that one of the one of the things i connect to the most is their solitariness mm. they can be surrounded but there's a solitary quality to them and i think that that is quintessentially one of the most important approaches that i am a contained self that mm. how I approach the world is one who is a self surrounded by other selves. I can make decisions. I can react fast. I can respond to life as it's happening from that posture. And so I think I see a lot of resonance with the blue heron. Also, it stands mm. in the muck and the mud, which I feel like, God, isn't that just true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anybody that's able to sit in that stuff and then be as adaptable as you can be to to shift to life instead of allowing it to like break you, that's that's a special quality. Any animal that can do that is a special <laughs> quality. So I love that, bro. That was such a beautiful answer. That was really good. Thank you. Uh, your next question is what song, no matter where you hear it, so that you could be surrounded on a train of people if this song came on you have to start busting out singing along with not just singing in your head but in public like it just moves you it's so easy to pinpoint um it is it is king harvest dancing in the moonlight and oh. where wherever that song comes on i mean those first few chords drop and all of a sudden i am back to being an eight-year-old boy with my parents record player there in the living room i'm listening to a record that i probably shouldn't and my heart is just awash with those memories i have to start singing it i turn up the radio louder i love that song dude that's a quality song too like I, that one i'm just thinking i'm playing it in my head right now and i'm like it just fires you up man you get your, your little heart starts fluttering you're like oh this is a good good jam man i love that that's a solid one that's not been one people have picked either really okay that's good to hear man yeah. the 70s were where it was at i i honestly mm -hmm. think like that whole era of music cannot be appreciated enough there's just so much good there Oh yeah. I like, I'm a, one of my favorite singers of all times, Jim Croce and man, his life being cut short, uh, how many hits he would have had if he could have had a full career. I mean, that guy was just insanely talented. We, uh, we had so many singer songwriters during that period who were, I think 
in part because of the counterculture, able to suddenly have something to say. It's one of my biggest concerns about talent today or creativity today at all, that people are certainly mm, saying and doing interesting things, but I wonder, do they have anything to say? Or are they kind mm. of just marching to the beat of the same status quo order of things? I, mm -hmm. I'm so bothered by, by this, uh, by modern, whether it's music or movies or, or anything, it's like we're all really driven as creators to make a hit, to get the reaction, to gain the splash. Um, and because of it, we stick to the most narrow landing strip of topics, mm. right? And mm -hmm. I think during that period of time, there was certainly um, a willingness to risk a certain kind of authenticity and imagination and ability to experiment that I don't find today. And I think that's the heart of creativity. Well, and I, I think a lot of those, you know, individuals creating back then were all living real lives. Like they weren't making these, it wasn't like, I'm going to be a singer and make millions of dollars and I'm never going to work a day in my life, you know, and they, they were living real lives. These, most of them were blue collar people on their average time. And they, they had something to say, they had this beautiful creative talent, but then they also then clocked back into work. Like it yeah. was very different times where, you know, you even think of like, athletes back then like you know you'd hear some of the pittsburgh steelers they're like going back to the steel meal on on um you know when football was done they'd go back and work a day. you know it's just like those times were very different i think that's what helped that creativity be really exposed and i think like you said to your point today i think a lot of people just kind of regurgitate things even they, they don't have the experience yeah it, it, it feeling like i have to have something to say has really trumped actually having something to say mm, yeah you know and so we'll go out and get a master's in fine arts um to try and perfect our ability to say something but we haven't even lived life mm -hmm. i i spent a month in crete uh earlier this summer and i i specifically went to go and write my second book there i was invited by a hotelier to to come down and and take a month out of my life and just dedicate myself to that. And about two weeks in, I realized I had made a horrible mistake. Mm. I realized that I was sitting there trying to write a book. Yeah. And then suddenly I closed my laptop. I closed my journal and I said, that is not why I'm here. I am here to live life. A book will come out of it. And mm -hmm. as soon as that happened, there was such an extraordinary shift in the cast of characters that I began to meet, the people I interacted with, and eventually what, what in fact would creatively emerge. But I wasn't trying to generate content. I was mm -hmm. simply living in the content of my life. Yeah, you, you were being and not exactly. doing that's yeah. right. That's right. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. That right there is like gold. We can just hang up this episode and just leave guys with that. That's beautiful, man. See uh, you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, your last question, I'm just, obviously this conversation is already starting off with some fire. Your last question is if you could imagine you can travel in time, even to the past, you got to pick one person who is pretty well known. So generally just most people would know who they are. Who would you pull a prank on? <laughs> that is a great question man a a prank a specific prank well i don't have the specific prank but i have it in my mind that i think a really interesting person to um to piss off would be ernest hemingway and i'll tell you why um 
there's a quality to people who are challengers like who are real challengers who are aggressive angsty at times who push other people's buttons there's a quality to them of deadly seriousness and that if you can do something that would really ruffle their feathers there is a kind of loosening that happens in them and i'll give you a reference point my youngest or not not my youngest son but one of my sons judah who is 15 and he's 6 4 now he's big and boisterous but he's a he's a tough football player real rough kid love him but when he was young he was just as challenging just as angsty and one day we were in a water balloon fight and i snuck up behind him because he was throwing the water balloons at his brother and i took a water balloon and i opened the back of his pants dropped the water balloon in and then smashed his pants from behind erupting the balloon inside and he looks back at me and he he's like ferociously angry in the face for all of 1.1 seconds and then he starts howling in laughter just howling like that was a good one and one of the things i've come to appreciate about people who are strong personalities in this world even perhaps too large a personality some people might say is when you get them good i think they're one of the few people who can actually appreciate it so i like yeah. those personalities. so ernest hemingway is my answer i love that that's a good one too i i figured it was going to be something like that which is really funny but that's hemingway hasn't been picked on here and so i really like that as well was hemingway the one that used to he get drunk while he wrote right yeah, yeah. right while you're drunk at it when you're sober yeah 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 <laughs> oh right. so good so i want to i want to let people know a little bit like they heard your intro but let's talk a little bit about like so just kind of fast forward through what brought you to this point because you've had a lot of success in your life you've had a lot of ups and downs um but you're in this beautiful place now where you're truly like driving a big impact on the world today and the people that you interact with both with you individually but you and your wife as well what brought you to this point to be like this is where i want to give yeah well, I think there's two answers. One is that from very, very early on, I was brought up in a subculture that um, that really believed that missional, purposeful living was the essence of being alive. If you didn't have a sense of vocation or calling, if you didn't make an impact on the world, what good were you? And there was a lot that was wrong about that particular culture in the sense that I think it was profoundly ineffective in some ways. But I do look back with a degree of gratitude and I think I am happy that I was impacted in that way because it, it I think, corresponds to who I am as a man. And I think men can relate to this. If you're not actually showing up to your purpose in life, and I would define purpose as intentionally living out who I am out of my identity i know who i am and i am intentionally bringing that every day to the world i'm turning up the volume on my sense of essence who i am and so i think that i gained that very early on but i'll tell you that actually wasn't what catapulted me into this place remotely i could have gone through my whole life racking up certifications racking up degrees performing going and doing this and that and i did i did that was just me making daddy happy. That mm -hmm. was me making mommy proud. Mm -hmm. That was fine, but it left me empty every time. 
in the end, what has brought me here is failure. I am just the world's greatest failure. That's all I am. I have, I have washed out of every relationship I've ever been in except for this one. And quite frankly, relationships only end up one of two ways, death or divorce. So, you know, it's like mostly that's going to happen anyway. But man, I was a spectacular washout in relationships. Mm. I've probably had 37 jobs and I've lost most of them in one way or the other. I've bungled my way through. The only employer who I've ever actually enjoyed working for has been myself. I'm yeah. a pretty good employer and a still a shitty employee one way or the other. <laughs> the reality is, the reality is I have showed up to life, hit it hard and been weighed and found wanting over and over and over. And I feel like I have done so with my eyes wide open. Mm, if I'm powerful. going to fail, I'm going to fail forward every mm. time. And so it's not a failure, of course, and we hear so many people talking about that, that there is no failure. Bullshit. There are failures. You can lose the people you love. You can lose the things you love. And I have, again, in spectacular ways. I've built big businesses and I burned them up. I've blown it all up. And I'm here to tell you what remains, the thing that remains, that's the self. I get asked all the time, like, what is the self? What is it? Yeah. It is that which remains when everything else is stripped away. Mm. What I found in my own life was that when it was all burned down, melted down, the thing that remained was harder than granite. Mm. Harder than granite. And that was the self I began to build a life upon. Yeah. Did that, um, at the time that you met that man, were you capable of like really owning him and respecting him and saying, this is where I'm going to build from. Or was it a confusing time? Like what is going on with me? Like, who is this new character? Yeah. I had a couple of moments, right? And I think that this is the, the inequity of linear timelines. The, the truth is that there were a series, a, a, a string of moments that left me reeling. Um, I had had a, a, a just tragic affair that spiraled out of control as it often does. Uh, I had been pissing in the water I was drinking from. I mm. slept with a colleague and that was devastating. I was acting like a character in someone else's novel. I was keeping secrets. I was, I was hiding from myself in so many ways and all the way, all the time showing up and trying to show up as I was some great white knight saving the world. Um, and in reality, I had a basement of shadows that was as deep as my skyscraper self looked tall mm. and they were all undealt with. And, you know, one of those moments came on the beach standing there with my wife, who is still my wife, who I am more passionately in love with than uh, I could have ever imagined possible. But I was standing on that beach with her and I was telling her not just of one affair, but of a whole way of living that had become a character that had become my character. And I'm telling her this and I have in my mind this thought like, why the hell am I telling her so much? Like, geez, like s slow down, buddy. Like this is a lot for anyone to process. And mm -hmm. what I began to realize as it tumbled out of my mouth was that I held a core conviction and here it was that I may lose everything, but if I can say simply one true thing after the other and keep on saying another true thing and another true thing, 
that I may eventually redeem my own soul, Mm. that I may eventually be a self in this world, that I might lose it all, but find what matters. And the only way I know to do that is to say what is true. And that became like a mantra, uh, just a resounding mantra for me. And eventually I, I became a part of a brotherhood of men, as so many men do in those moments. And, and what I found there was so interesting. I was surrounded by men who were uh, failures like I was. They were people who got caught. <laughs> they were people who went south. They were doctors, lawyers, plumbers, electricians homeless uh, individuals. There was such a wide cast of characters from blue collar to no collar to shirtless. And we're all in the room. And the one thing that was defining us was we were no longer willing to perform at life. We began to value authenticity over performance and began to reward truth over pretense. Mm. And that began to make the, the shift. And so I think when I, when I hear that question, you know, did I know, was I prepared to meet that man? No, I had no clue what was coming out. I just know that if I could say a truth, mm-hmm. a true thing, that, that the next thing that would follow um, would, would be equally impacting and I would be prepared for. Yeah, it's beautiful because there's, it's every, it's like, you know, we all think, everybody thinks that they're like, okay, I see where I want to go and I see the big picture. And the big picture is what they put into their mind. Like, if I want to be a man of this, like, that's the man I need to be. But it's really all the small steps in the journey that get you there. And they don't like what you did was like, hey, it was one small step every day. And then consistently those piled up and that accumulated to the big change and the big authenticity and ownership of who you really were. And I think a lot of guys struggle with that because they, they, I think this is what terrifies them. I think they see this big picture of something like, oh, this is the man I'm supposed to be. And, and they don't look like, what's the small thing I can just do today? And then what's the small thing I can do tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, you know, incremental goals versus these large and massive values that we put as our goal. I think that uh, what I have inevitably found is that I am fucked if I uh, imagine the the big vision, the end game, that yeah. I get so in my head, I start future tripping all the reasonable reasons why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I won't come in, and I am left holding an, an empire of nothing in my hands. But yeah. if I can simply say, what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. What is the step I can take right now? So it's like, you know, if I set that I want to go get a master's degree, well, that may become really, really deflating to someone after they realize, well, I don't even have my GED, right? And so there's this huge disparity between what I want and where I am. But not if you say, well, what can I do? What can I do? Well, actually, probably... You know, you might say, well, I need to go get my GED, but even that is despairing. Like, oh my gosh, I have so many steps, but what's the thing you can do? Well, I can Google, what steps do I need to take to get my GED? Great, yeah. do that. Celebrate the hell out of that step. Mm-hmm. Look what you just did. That next step will open up the next step and will mm-hmm. adequately prepare you for the thing after that. Don't focus on the 30th or the 300th step. Focus on the next one in front of you. Well, and that's like, it's, that's what 
you know, I want to dive into with you as well. It's like, you're, you're one of the people out there who is doing the work to keep men to figure out how to own themselves in the present moment. Right. Like that's a big thing that you push guys or guys and gals, you push people to do. So what is the common thread that you see with the people you're working with that is keeping them from living life in the present moment because tomorrow's not promised you and i know this and yesterday if you try to live in the past you're living in death so it's like how do we keep how do we get people to look down and say hey man what's today look like for me how do i celebrate that and what's the one foot in front of the other that i can do i i think a lot of it has to do with the stories that own us The stories that own us are so incredibly complicated that we are hardly ourselves, Mm. right? We are hardly ourselves. Instead, we are rather like these characters, these very complicated characters that are playing out these incredibly routine uh, dramas that we inherit. Here's what I mean. You know, I had a friend who went to... (laughs) I had a friend who who went to Hollywood uh, and he did one of those like acting classical acting training schools. Now, I thought this was real goofy, but he assured me this was like exactly what he needed to do. And he learned somewhere like 180 different distinct archetypes to play. And and when I say he learned them, I mean that literally he he would. um he would learn the the hand motions and the facial expressions and even the tone of voice. And I'm talking things like, you know, the butler. I think that's probably the easiest way. Or like the, the bastard prince. And it was like they had their own context attached to them. And he had to develop very specific ways of, of performing with each of them. Well, I, I like this picture. And it starts, to, it starts to make sense to me when I think about if he gets a call from a producer one day who says, hey, man, we love your work. We think you're a really talented young, young uh, guy. Um, we want you to come play the new Alfred in the new Batman. And so he's like, great. I'm uh, great. I know how to do that. I know the facial expressions for a butler. One of my 180 characters I learned, this is great. And so he shows up and he does awesome. The movie reviews come back. Everyone loves him. He's the guy. Well, then the next producer calls and says, man, we loved your work in the new Batman. Um, We want to cast you in uh, something else, a little edgier. We'd like you to play another Butler role. How, uh, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, I don't, well, okay. Again, great reviews. Well, this goes on for a few years. Now he's only getting cast as the Butler. We call that typecasting, of course. Right. But nobody's calling him to play the bastard Prince, Mm -hmm. right? They only know him as the Butler. The problem is he actually forgets about his ability to even play those other parts. This is how we are in life. At some point in time, we learn how to be a particular kind of archetype in life. The lovable loser, the affable nice guy, the real asshole. We learn these archetypes and we keep on showing up to them because they're reinforced over and over and over. They get some results, they get us some traction, but at some point in time, they stop serving us and they start preventing us from responding to the life in front of us. And so what we need to actually do is de-roll. We actually need to learn how to take off that role and how to begin to play a new part. So when I work with people, that's so much of what I do is learning to play a new character in life. We are what we do. We become the choices we make. 
And so I make a choice. I take an action, a step that builds a habit. Habits build new characters. That's good news. It's really mm-hmm. good news that I can transform my life to become a new character. And in fact, I must if I want to respond to the life that's in front of me and not simply the narratives that have been hoisted onto me. Yeah. And that's freaking, that is gold right there because that for me, it's same thing with the coaching. It's literally what everybody I deal with is dealing with. And when we think of it that way and having to unlearn um, a character, it's also looking at that character and saying, well, shit, like, I was actually never aligned with this dude anyways, which is why I've had all this friction internally, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I think like I oftentimes will have people migrate over to my page and they're like, man, you're such a contradiction. Like, and you probably get this too. Like, oh, you're, you're, you're such like a a wild man, burly man, dude. And yet you have this really tender poetic heart. Like what the fuck? I'm like, well, there's no contradiction there because I'm not addicted to playing a part. Right. You're addicted to seeing me in a particular lens, but I am not that. Oh, you think I'm a nice guy? Wait, I will crush your heart. Oh, Mm -hmm. you think I'm an asshole? Don't worry. I can be sweet and tender too. I have capacity. I've got range here. Yeah. That's, that is the key right there. Good friend of mine, uh, Stefano Stefando says that all the time. We as, we as men have to have range. That's what makes us fully embrace our authenticity instead of like you, you put it so perfectly being typecasted. And in our mind, we're, we're the, we're the director calling for the next film and we're the lead role. And the director's like, well, man, that Butler did really well. I'm going to call him back. And we just keep calling ourselves back to that. That was brilliant, brother. I love that. It gets even trickier when we get into the the realm of relationships, because if you think about it, well, I see myself as Alfred, the butler. Now, Alfred, the butler requires someone to play his part. Who's he require? He requires a Bruce Wayne. So then I go drafting people to play opposite of me. So why do I keep having the same relationships over and over and over? Why am I always uh, connecting with the worst kind of unavailable people? people? Why am I always seeing my heart get run over and flung out? It's actually because I am refusing to be anything or play anything other than this incredibly shallow, vapid role that I have become addicted to playing. Mm. I am creating my relational reality moment by moment by moment. So one of the amazing things, you know, when you take it even out of the individual realm and apply it to relationships, one of the greatest gifts we can give our lovers actually is to change, is Mm -hmm. to become a new self. And isn't that the most terrifying thing when someone says to you, your partner says to you, you've changed. Oh my God, (laughs) why do you change? But it's like, no, no, believe me, baby, you want me to change. You actually want me to change. Yeah. My my wife and I joke about it all the time. Like we look back at, and I'm sure you do with your wife as well. It's only like the two people that even met years ago and got married aren't even the same people we are today. Like that was, you know, the evolution is, it's something we should be embracing because it is evolving, right? Like we're, we're adjusting and we're changing that role and we're stripping it down and we're seeing ourselves in the mirror. Right. And we're allowing ourselves to evolve and really absorb the experiences in life and use that to catapult us into better relationships into more authentic mindsets and owning our owning who we are in the world. 
And without that evolution, that's where I see relationships deteriorate, right? Like when they're trying to stay like, oh, you got to be the person I met, you know? That's right. Yeah. You know, the first stage of a relationship is union. And of course, it's such a beautiful stage. I think a lot of people poo poo that stage because there's a lot of pretending that happens. And, and honestly, I, 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 I like pretending as much as the next guy putting a good foot forward seems important. I don't think there's any way of getting around that stage. You know, I think it's really funny. I'll have someone come to me and be like, Oh my God, he told me everything about himself. And it's like, he told me that he was a serial killer. He's so amazing how honest he is. And it's like, okay, we're so impressed. Like we're so easily motivated during that stage to get up off the couch and find one another. And I think the gift of illusions is really what we give each other, right? We, we typecast one another. We have these two roles, Bruce Wayne and Alfred, who come together in this, or Catwoman and, and Batman, and we bring ourselves into these con the dynamic connections, and then we fall in love with a projection of ourselves. Oh, they're just like me. <laughs> I mean, I've said that so many times in relationship, which is really hilarious, because apparently I only want to masturbate my way into relationship. <laughs> Right. It's like, well, no, actually, I would rather fall in love with someone who isn't, in fact, just like me. But we do need to be motivated. And so union is that first stage. But what really happens next, I think, is is where most of us get stuck. We, we have a, a period of time called collusion. And in collusion, we're keeping up the pretenses. Mm. The person you fell in love with is the person I want I want you to relate to. And so I'm going to pretend to be that person, even though I'm changing. And I need you to pretend to be the person you were and not to change also. And so mm. then we help each other keep up appearances, right? Like we kind of prop each other up a little bit. We only see the things we want to see. We certainly doctor our, I've got one friend. It's like his wife doesn't know that he does all these ayahuasca journeys and psilocybin trips. And it's like, I don't know how you're getting away with it, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah, really big changes, but he's so committed, right, to wow. to not showing because he doesn't want her to uh, to lose faith in this this iconic image of him. But the next stage of relationship is where we die so often, which is disillusionment. Mm -hmm. The illusion falls down, but that is the gift of relating, because mm -hmm. as the illusions come down, suddenly I can actually see you for who you really are, and you can see me. Which is unfortunate why relationships fall apart right there, because that's really where the juice is. Once I finally yeah. see you, I can meet you. Yeah. And, and I, like, I want to actually point out something, because what you're actually translating right now is for not just, you know, intimate relationships. These are even for, I see this with friendships. I see this a lot yeah. with men where like, you know, you have high school friends and they see you a certain way and you want to hold that appearance up and you're nowhere near that person they knew, right? But you'll revert back to acting that way mm -hmm. in that role for them because you're like, that's where we all connected. But you're like, bro, we, that we haven't been those people for 20 years. Like, why am I doing this? Right. So it's, oh, yeah. I, I think it's important that men, especially they go back to that. They revert back to that, but in, in relationships as well, intimate relationships, we see that. So one of the things I want to ask you while, while I have your expertise for men out there, because I hear this a lot where like one person, and it tends to be typically the woman, she is evolving. She's embracing evolution. She's finding herself for developing herself. And then the man is usually back and he's supportive, but he mm. won't evolve. So then the woman comes and she's like, well, how do I get him to come with me? Which you can't force a man to do that. But 
on for our conversation right now, what you've been talking about with that keeping up appearances, do we believe those men are just keeping up appearances and they're actually evolving? Or do we believe and they're trying to hide that? Or do we believe that they're truly just staying back in the old ways because they're obstinate in, in evolving? I don't know. It's such a great question. And maybe before I, before I dive into that, I just want to say to the person who really wants their partner to change, stop. Mm. Stop mm. trying to change them. This points to the great um, disparity, I think, between who you think yourself to be as a highly evolved person. If you're a highly evolved person going around trying to change everyone, guess what? You're not so highly evolved. <laughs> Stop it. Um, either this person is absolutely intolerable as they are and you should leave them, or you love them as they are where they are. Mm -hmm. So I would say to that person who is so disgruntled and so frustrated, you need to start being real with yourself. Mm. And I don't think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people actually have a lot of hope and they should give up hope. Hope is a real mind fuck. It's a real killer. Give up yeah. hope. See them as they are. Choose them as they are or choose otherwise. Now, for the man in that situation, the truth is I, I believe that men in particular, if we could talk about men right now in our culture, I think men are in an awful tough place right now. Yeah. I think there's a lot that's shifting on men. And to be quite honest, I think good. I've got a daughter. I am so happy that my daughter um, hears the message routinely of break through the glass ceiling, have a voice, be a conqueror, be a challenger, be a badass. My God, the way my daughter stands up to her three brothers and puts them through their paces. I am astonished and amazed by it. Mm. On the other hand, I have three sons now who culturally are being told over and over and over, sit down, be quiet, don't have a voice. At best, you can be an ally. Mm -hmm. right? Go to the back. You've had your time. Time's up. And I think that is a, is a reversal we're talking about. We're not mm -hmm. talking about equity here. We're not talking about the setting of things right. You know, uh, there's a parable that one of my favorite teachers, Anthony DeMello, talks about uh, in which uh, a, a thief steals something and, uh, and these people bring the thief with the goods he stole to the man he stole it from. And the man looks down at him, takes these jewels that were stolen and hands them back to the thief. He gives them to him. And the people are appalled. They're astonished. How could, how could you give them to him? He's a thief. And he says, no, he's not. I just gave them to him. He is a thief no more. And the people said, what about justice? And he said, justice is the setting of things right. Mm. He is a thief no more. Wow. And I think that we have lost the vision of justice, the vision of equity today. I want us all to have a voice. I want us all to have power. And I think that men are living in this place where we're expected to be emotionally sensitive, but also hard and strong and handle everyone else's emotions. Mm -hmm. I think it's a real hard line to toe for men. The more I interact with men, the harder I think it is for them. And I think for people who didn't necessarily get the master's degree in emotional sensitivity, I think it's even harder. And I think that where we are right now is we need a lot of compassion. And I don't think there's a lot of compassion at all. 
So to that man who thinks, one, he's not changing, my guess is he's changing a lot more than he thinks he is. And mm-hmm. maybe a lot more than you think he is. He really is. And that it's really confusing. It's very yeah. confusing. So I think compassion, it comes down to compassion. Can you fall in love with them in this tremendous shift? That's mm-hmm. what I encourage a lot of the women who I interact with is maybe you can't stay with them. Maybe you can't. Mm-hmm. Great. Choose elsewhere. But if you can, hang with them. I think he's going to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and very well said. And it, for me with men, especially when we talk about this, this confusing time of having to balance all of this stuff, you know, I'm a big fan of Robert Bly and Robert Bly talks about this in iron John, where like the, the wisdom of the elder men, they protect the boys from the boar. So when the boar Mm. attacks, they take a wound instead of being killed by the boar. And when the boy gets a wound, he becomes like Odysseus and is cunning when he gets older. So he's able to survive, but that wound teaches him. Right. Mm. And I think that there's a, I think for we're, we're in this, my personal opinion is an unprecedented time for masculinity. And inside of that, the men before us weren't taught to help, help us to evolve into this because it's been so unprecedented. What are your thoughts on that? Well, right. I mean, we certainly live in a, in an era where there is no eldership, not really. Right. Um, you know, the truth is though, that I think that it's not a recent shift. The last 8,000 years of civilization itself have been, um, what I would call a de-skilling we have literally skilled ourselves away from being human and how we approach our human experience. And today, you know, you look on planet Earth, civilization is the single dominating factor. Hunter gatherers live largely in disparate and small huddles waiting to be absorbed by this great virus we call civilization. And I'm all for it gung-ho about it. But I think that one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that it has come with a tremendous cost that control and order and stability has often cost us our authenticity and our essence. And it has certainly cost us things like eldership. I don't find men who are elders today because I don't find things like community today. Mm. Community births eldership. So much of even if we talk about men's work, so much of men's developmental stages, if we start off with, say, post-adolescence, what might have been called the warrior stage, the warrior stage was defined in pre-civilizational days as um, a, how would I say this, in service of the tribe, in Mm -hmm. service of the community. And in fact, the initiations that were required to produce a warrior who the tribe could trust were all honed in on, could we trust him with his gifts? Can we trust him to do what is right for the community itself? And of course, a man who did not uh, sufficiently become initiated was monstrous. He was either a vampire who was undying, who wouldn't confront his own death and mortality. He simply would prey upon the rather feminized sensibilities of the civilized weak. Or he was a werewolf who was ravenous and and rapacious. And so I think like we see in mythology, these two extremes to talk about men who weren't initiated. They were either vampires or werewolves. They were monsters. But a man who was initiated was one who had 
faced his own death, who is one who had cut away from the softness of, of, of the perhaps early feminine world of adolescence, and now can confront those places on behalf of the tribe. So if you think about as that the first stage of development is that warrior stage which exists for community, well, we don't have community today. Mm-hmm. So men actually can't sufficiently develop their way into eldership. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we see a great absence of elders. We see a lot of olders, mm-hmm. but not many elders. I think that elders requires a confronting of our mortality very early on. Now, thankfully, I see that that is changing. I really do. As the vestiges of what we would call modern society are really crumbling around us, it is giving way for the grass to come up through the cracks. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really good thing. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree. I think there's a generation of men who are, are now doing that confrontation. They yeah. are seeing that. And I think the next generations coming up are going to have those elders. Um, but I think right now in that transitional phase, we're in this real struggle of trying to find that as we are yeah. all older right now, trying to make sure we find that and harness it and use it for good to then help this next generation have the elders so they don't have to do it so late in life. That's right. And I'm so grateful. You know, it's like I I look at things like you're doing or various others, and I think to myself, no, I mean, what is that? Well, really, that is an invitation for men to go back to that point of origin that so many of us missed, which is that initiation into warriorhood, right? Mm -hmm. Where we learn that the world is hard and I have the capacities to meet that world. The world is hard and so am I, as the band The Eels sang uh, in Novocaine for the Soul. And I think that is an important lesson that we need to learn post-adolescence, and many of us didn't. Instead, many of us were taught to be fragile flowers and to wilt when the sun came out. And so I look at, you know, what initiatory works are today, and I see that they're teaching people to go back to that place and start there. And that really is the work. And from there, you begin to go into those next stages, the philosopher stage, where you begin to doubt your own thoughts, doubt your own mind, and begin to deconstruct internally. Then you move on from there to the lover stage, where you actually begin to see yourself as gift and uh, as gift to others, gift to relationships, gift to the world. And then finally, you're prepared for eldership Mm, on behalf of the community. Beautiful. Beautiful, brother. Beautiful. Oh, man, you and I could talk forever. I absolutely love this. And I just I literally looked up and I was like, holy crap, we're getting we're winding down here. Um, Brother, this has been an amazing episode, man. I am excited for everybody to to get the gems of wisdom that you've provided on here and truly grateful for honestly how you show up in not only social media, but how you even showed up on the show and who you are in the world today. So truly appreciate you. And let's tell everybody how they can find you. I know you have your men's circle program, so how they can get involved with you and we'll link everything in the show notes for sure. But just let everybody know like how to get in Rainier's ecosystem. Well, the easiest way to get in my ecosystem, should it not be shut down, is probably to migrate to Instagram (laughs) and follow me there. That gives you the link tree. That gives you everything. But coming up right now, I have uh, starting November 1st, uh, a men's circle called The Rope. I do that routinely about twice a year. That's a digital um, but live circle I do with a limited number of men that is confronting your shadow, identifying your purpose, and living out creatively your life with Mm -hmm. other men. It's a pretty amazing time. Um, I also do a very select number of one-on-one mentorships throughout the year, as well as I think coming up in January, I'm doing a large 
larger thing called the training, which I'm really excited about. So there's different ways of interacting with me and engaging with me. I think more than anything, I am more committed than ever to helping inspire a generation of men to have the courage to live a life that counts. Mm. Yeah, um, That's- I think Bukowski said it, right? He said, you may not be able to beat death, but you can beat death in life. Mm. Yeah, that's oh man. And anybody that uh doesn't follow Renier right now, go make sure you do follow him because his posts, man, they're very eloquent. I love the content that you put in them. Mm. Very, very, you know, great words of wisdom and in philosophy in there for people to really ponder and think about. Yeah. So highly recommend that. Make sure you guys check out the show notes. You can get all the links, find out where to to support him and follow him. And so, brother, your last question before we rip off here and I let you get back to your day is what does the art of masculinity mean? to you uh the art of masculinity i think for me the art of masculinity means showing up to my world as a solid self it means actually having um, the courage the courage not to not be afraid that's not what it is to have the hard conversation to tell the truth to dance the dance, to bring your full self into the world. I mean, heartache will have your number, right? I mean, you'll have gut-wrenching decisions. You'll certainly experience the down and outs of life. There'll be a hell of a lot of joy too, though. That's what it means to me. Vibrant, open-handed, open-hearted, gut-wrenching living. It means looking like being a bleeding heart. And I think that's Mm. what it means to me. Oh, that's beautiful. I wouldn't expect anything less from you. That was such a good way of putting it. Well, brother, like I said, such a, an amazing time with you on the show here. Um, and to everybody listening, make sure you guys give Rainier a follow. Make sure you guys go check out his website. Um, just a special human being in this world today. So appreciate you, brother. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys. Mm-hmm.